Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So tonight's talk is called On Having No Head, A Simple, Effective Anatta Practice. And um, I'm actually going to be sharing with you uh, one of my own personal practices that I don't really talk about all that much. Um, but it's come up in a couple of conversations this week with some um, Dharma practitioners who I'm supporting, and it just kind of came up in a conversation with one. And, uh, and this person said, she got it and said, oh, that's really, that's really amazing. And then I just was talking to somebody else the next day and it just was in the flow again. I said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. I'll just, it was what was happening and I shared it. And um, again, there was a, a click to how this can work. So I'm giving you my, my own personal secret teachings tonight. Uh, and you're welcome to share them with the world because I didn't invent this. This is uh, really from uh, a wonderful book that um, I read many years ago called On Having No Head by Douglas Harding. Uh, and I had the good fortune to, to meet him uh, many years ago and uh, just a really interesting guy and very free. Um, so that impressed me. He kind of was walking his talk, embodying it. So I'll talk a little bit um, before I, I go right into the practice. We're going to build up to the practice so you understand where I'm coming from. Um, and I thought I'd start by sharing with with you something that maybe uh, you can relate to. Uh, my own personal experience, when I was a kid, we got a reel-to-reel tape recorder. If you're old enough, that's really, that's really ancient. Um, real, it was a Revere tape recorder. I, I can, I'm in my, my kitchen in Elmhurst, Queens right now, just seeing this amazing new invention that we had and we could record our own voice, we could record anything live. <clears throat> and I was so excited until I actually recorded my voice. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of listening to yourself for the first time, but for me, I didn't want to open up my mouth ever again. I can't believe I sound like that. Why doesn't everybody run out of the room? I sound so weird. I sound so dorky. I sound, it was, it was hard. And not only when I, when I was using the tape recorder, but I could hear my voice. Once I heard it, there was no escaping that I was hearing how I sounded. And it wasn't a pretty, <laughs> it's the wrong sense door. It wasn't a pretty picture. It wasn't a pretty sound. And um, I had one of my most powerful experiences of deep self-consciousness that is not foreign to most of us. I would have a, I would imagine that most of us know what self-consciousness is like. And in fact, if you don't know what self-consciousness is like, uh, please contact me and I'll, uh, I'd love to talk with you. But I want to, explore first about this self-consciousness 
and then see about the possibility of removing the self from the self-consciousness, because then what you have left is just consciousness. And there is it's the difference between um, heaven and hell, self-consciousness or consciousness. The thoughts that come probably familiar to you, what do they think of me? For me, it was a lot in my earlier years. It's very different now, but I'll, I'll share a little bit about my experience now. But, oh, I'm really boring. Or, I don't have anything to say. Or, one form or another of, I'm not enough, or people don't really like me or won't like me. Now, I did have good friends. I, I've shared this before. I was very, very shy as a kid outside of my good friends. I, and I'm still close with some of my childhood friends. We connect regularly, grateful to say. Uh, so I did, I, I mean, I had good friends, but it was meeting new people. That was, that was the hard one. And I felt very small and shy. You know, when I would go to, my parents would go to um, school, uh, open school night. You ever have open school night when you're going to school and the parent, the, your parents would come and visit the teachers. I was a school teacher, so I know what it's like to be on the, on the teacher end of that as well. But um, often the, mm, the comment was, he's, he's a very sweet uh, kid, and he's a good student, if he just raise his hand a little bit more. So that was me growing up. Very shy and insecure, and kind of hiding much of the time. Now, um, uh, there's a, a line that is uh, that I love and I've used many, many times that I got from uh, Trungpa Rinpoche. I used to go every summer to Naropa, uh, the first five summers. That's where I first intro got introduced to the practice. And I met Joseph Goldstein and met Jack in those early 70s. Uh, and Trungpa Rinpoche, who's this very kind of, um, well, he's a crazy wisdom teacher. Um, and um, he had, he had, you know, a few things that uh, he didn't quite embody what you think of as an enlightened being. And he was brilliant, completely brilliant. And almost every talk I'd come away, give three talks a week each um, during this during the sessions, and uh, I've I quote him, you know, fifty years later. And one one line that's relevant to this talk that I want to share, very simple line. Timidity is just another ego trip. Timidity is just another ego trip. Not, oh, aren't I wonderful, but, oh, I hope they don't see me. Either way, it's all about me. It's all about a sense of self, what's commonly called selfing, that takes your focus from everything out there to right here and it's painful it's painful if you're shy and insecure it can be um, uh, motivation to be counter timid and be uh, liking the limelight out of your insecurity um, that's not quite as painful although it's not very impressive to everyone around you. 
but this sense of it's all about me can be just as prominent in your timidity and in your shyness as in your inflation and uh, taking up a lot of space. And the more we hide, the more we're caught in this selfing. You ever go into a room and somebody is, is kind of very shy and hiding, and maybe this is you sometimes, and you're very aware that there's somebody over there who's really hiding, you know, and you wonder, oh, I hope they're okay. What's going on with them? So it's like you're a magnet for attention anyway, even if you're, you're hiding, um, and it's really painful. So this is selfing. And it can have its um, manifestations, even um, being in, um, in the teacher seat. There's a number of different ways. Of course, there's, oh, I hope they like me. What do they think of me? But another manifestation of selfing, which used to happen when I was uh, in my earlier years of teaching. It doesn't happen very often now, although, you know, it can happen in, in a moment. Um, is splitting what I used to call splitting, giving a talk and watching myself give a talk, which is deadly. Because in watching myself give a talk, it's not, oh, you're really knocking them dead. It's, oh my God, what do they think of me? Is this, I'm so boring or blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of watching yourself talk and people wondering what what people are thinking. So selfing can happen at any time, at any moment. And as the Buddha taught, this is the sure prescription and the central knot of our suffering. A few months ago, I gave a talk on the Anatta Lakana Sutta, which was the second discourse that the Buddha shared uh, with um, his five original uh, cohorts, um, companions, about seeing through this sense of self. And he called this eye-making or mind-making, where we are constructing this sense of who we are, because it is a construction. And the teaching of the Buddha is all about deconstructing this mental fabrication that keeps you feeling separate from everything else. The Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on mindfulness, um, it's all different practices to deconstruct the sense of self, starting with looking at this body and seeing whether sitting, standing, walking or lying down, or just seeing the flow of experience in this body, mindfulness of the body, and seeing you don't have control over this body. If you did, you'd just say, stop hurting. Knee, stop stop bothering me. Or whatever your condition happens to be, you don't have control. And although that might be disappointing news, it's really freeing to see it's not up to you to make this body behave. Of course, you can do things to support it or do things to to injure it. But as far as the unfolding, it follows its own laws. And it's so freeing to see you don't have to blame yourself or take credit 
wow, look at my curly hair, when that's just the way it is. Or, oh, look at my curly hair. I wish I had straight hair, whatever it is. And then just to see our mind and our emotions and our thoughts, all habits, all unfolding that you don't have much control over. If you did, you'd only have really sweet, beautiful thoughts, blessing everyone around you. Some others seem to slip in, but we blame ourselves for that. And so just to see, to not take our thoughts so personally. And other dimensions of this Satipatthana Sutta are about deconstructing the self in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, where the Buddha says to look at this mind-body not as some solid thing, but as five different components. We've talked about this from time to time. The five aggregates or the five khandas in Pali or the five skandas in, in Sanskrit, that what we are, who we are, there is this form, there is what's called Vedana or the feeling tone. We've talked about this from time to time. That is where our experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral in every moment. There is perception, how we are uh, recognizing and taking in reality. There are mental formations, all of our thoughts and feelings about our perceptions. And there is a consciousness that knows. And he said, take a look and see, this is who we are. We are this flow of experience. Not that you should get rid of the five, the five khandas, that's who you are. The Buddha had five khandas as well. And it said that the only difference between the Buddha or an enlightened being and um, an ordinary worldly being is that an enlightened being does not cling to those five khandas, does not take them to be me or mine. Whereas most of us do when we are self-conscious. <clears throat> and then he, he says to look at our sense stores. We are, this is in the fourth foundation, we are made of uh, we take an experience through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and mind objects. Those are the six senses. And he says, this is happening all the time, all the time. And not to grasp at any, any one of them. It's all when you see how, how quickly things are changing, you're, you're seeing you are a flow of experience. <clears throat> now, we aren't always self-conscious and we all have experiences where that that's not operating. When, when you see children who are playing and just having a good time or very, very young children before they're socialized, socialized, and being told, oh, you're a good boy because of the way you're behaving, or, oh, you're a bad boy because of the way you're behaving, which is very different than, oh, I like the way you behave. You just were behaving, or I didn't like the way you were behaving. That was kind of disappointing. But when we are told you are good or bad, because of how you are, then we take that on. And if we told the message a lot, we really internalize it. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a bad, oh, now I'm a bad person. But when, before we're, 
socialized like that and we're free, children are not self-conscious. There's something very fresh about them just being themselves. And it reminds us we can just be ourselves. Mm -hmm. Other times when we're not self-conscious, when we're in the flow, when you're just in the middle of an activity that you love, whether it's dancing or skiing or um, swimming or having fun, often when we're in our bodies in the middle of activity, when you're in your body, you're not in your, you're not in your mind. And particularly when there's a flow of enjoyment where you're not trying to think your way through, you know, maybe at the beginning you have to learn how to, your moves for dancing, but then once you kind of get it, oh, I can just be free and enjoy the movement. Ah, there's not self-consciousness unless you're on the dance floor and all of a sudden think, oh, what do they think of me? Hey, how am I looking now? But when you're just really in it, that's not part of your reality. And that's why it's so much fun. When we're relaxed and we're comfortable with good friends or those close to us, and we're not trying to impress anyone, and we're just ourselves. And a key is just relaxation. Just, oh yeah, I don't have to be anybody. I can just be myself around these people. Mm. Another time that we're not self-conscious is when we are sending loving thoughts. Remember, the Buddha talked about metta as the antidote for danger, because when we are sending metta, it's an outflow of experience, and it's not, oh, what do they think of me? It's just, I wish you well. And that's very freeing and liberating. So you can't overdo that. It's a great way to go through life. Just sending metta, lead with love, and you're not caught in your self-consciousness. And then just finally, any wholesome state, when you're in the middle of a wholesome state, when we're wholesome states are expansive and all of the self-consciousness is a contraction. So when you're playing, when you're laughing, when you're caring, when you are uh, feeling deep compassion, all the wholesome states are antidotes to self-consciousness. In a moment, the self can come back. Oh, how do I keep this here? Or, hey, um, they think, maybe they think I'm really generous now. In one moment, it can turn into something else. But while you're in the middle of the wholesome state, there's freedom. And that's one reason that I love teaching Awakening Joy. It's, it's about cultivating different wholesome states and noticing how free and how open it is when we are in that experience and really, um, really taking it in. Mm. So how to free ourselves from this self-consciousness? <clears throat> A few different things and then we'll get to this practice. One is to see who we, what we are, we are a process of experience. I've, I don't have time now to do it, but uh, I, I've done it in the past where you think of yourself, you see yourself instead of seeing yourself as a, well, I'll do it just for a moment. Uh, it, it won't take that long. Um, just close your eyes for a moment and First, relate to yourself as somebody, as a noun. Yep, that's me. And now just shift for a few moments 
and see yourself as a verb, as a field of experience, of life flowing and moving through you without any reference point that's unchanging. Ah, you are a verb. Okay, you can open your eyes. In that, there's, the self is not being constructed. When you're meditating and you see impermanence in a very profound way, you see moment to moment to moment, and you see that you too are this flow of experience. Another way that the practice has of freeing ourselves from self, selfing, is to not identify with our thoughts. We can have any thought in the world, and when we see it's just a mental fabrication, ha, ah, we don't get hooked into, oh, that was, a, that was a pretty awful thought. Oh, that was a great thought. Oh, what about this? But you just see the thoughts come and go. And cultivating wholesome states, as I said, is another way. So there's one unique way that I wanted to share with you to cut through this self-consciousness and evaporate the whole sense of self in just a, a kind of mm, mm, mental, mental game that has been really helpful for me. And I want to share with you, I, I, I want to do him justice. I want to share with you just a little bit of the beginning of this book on having no head. So you can see he's a very playful writer and you can get the, the practice and then we can play around with it. <clears throat> he said, the best day of my life my rebirth day, so to speak, when I found I had no head. This is not a literary gambit, a witticism designed to arouse interest at any cost. I mean it in all seriousness. I have no head. It was when I was 33 that I made the discovery. Though it certainly came out of the blue, it did so in response to an urgent inquiry I had had for several months been absorbed in the question, what am I? The fact that it happened, that I happened to be walking in the Himalayas at the time probably had little to do with it, though in that country, unusual states of mind are said to come more easily. However, that may be a very still clear day and a view from the ridge where I stood over misty blue valleys to the highest mountain range in the world made a setting worthy of the grandest vision. What actually happened was something absurdly simple and unspectacular. Just for the moment, I stopped thinking. Reason and imagination and all mental chatter died down. For once, words really failed me. I forgot my name, my humanness, my thingness, all that could be called me or mine, past and future, dropped away. It was as if I had been born that instant, brand new, mindless, innocent of all memories. There existed only the now, that present moment, and what was clearly given in it. To look was enough. And what I found was khaki trouser legs terminating downwards in a pair of brown shoes, khaki sleeves terminating sideways in a pair of pink hands, and a khaki shirt front terminating upwards in, in absolutely nothing, whatever. Certainly not a head. It took me no time at all to notice that this nothing, this hole where a head should have been, was no ordinary vacancy, no mere nothing. On the contrary, it was very much occupied. It was a vast emptiness, 
vastly filled, a nothing that found room for everything. Room for grass, trees, shadowy distant hills, and far above them snow peaks like a row of angular clouds riding the blue sky. I had lost a head and gained a world. It was all quite literally breathtaking. And I'll just stop there. There's a bit more. But this is the point, and this is the practice. Can you see your head? Well, maybe now if you're looking on the screen and you see a reflection, or if you're looking in a mirror, you can see it. But if you're not looking at a reflection, can you see your head? It's the one thing you can't see. You, you might, you can see a little bit the tip of your nose. That's about it. But you can't see your head. And what Douglas Harding came to experience was when he stopped creating this idea of this head with this face that other people are looking at, that we wonder what they think of me. When you stop creating that and you just look out, there's simply awareness that's knowing everything around you. And in that not constructing this self-referenting, what do they think of me or how do I look? There's complete freedom. I don't know if this is making sense, but for me, it's been one of the greatest and most powerful practices that I am in touch with quite a lot because that voice, even as I'm speaking now, there's still a part of me that was that little kid listening to myself on the Revere reel-to-reel tape recorder saying, blah, 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 or how do you sound, or your voice is weird, or oh, stop being so teachy. And those thoughts are still there. I don't need to get rid of anything. All I need to do is just assume that unless people run away when they hear my voice, it's okay and that I don't have to be caught in those thoughts and just let life move through me through this vessel of life and just let it express itself. It's a simple, like I said, maybe little Aikido move that makes all the difference in the world. If we had time, and uh, probably people would, would flee, I'd have you go into dyads and just speak with each other and see what it's like to let go of having a head. But right now, as you are here, maybe you're all muted. Yes, you're all muted. Um, we can just play this uh, in the mute form, and those listening on the on the uh, the recording later on, you might try this just for fun. Mm. Start saying, talking about anything. You can talk about yourself. You could talk about your self consciousness. You could talk about the Dharma, whatever. And while you're talking. Let the words actually come out of your mouth and let go of your head. Let it just come from an empty space that is filling the void and taking in 
everyone around us. So you can speak, maybe speak to somebody on the, uh, on the, uh, on the screen. They won't know you're talking to them. And just play around with having no head. And what I mean that is let, let there just be an empty space that these words are coming out of. Okay, so I'm going to mute myself and I just muted myself as I was talking. We can all do this for uh, the next, uh, oh, 30 seconds or so, just for fun. Play along. What do you have to lose? Okay, ready, go. <laughs> Not your usual Dharma exercise, uh, talking to whoever is not there. So I wanted to uh, maybe just check in for a moment. There, there's there's more that I would I would say, but maybe just to stop here for a few moments and um, see if there is a any comment or question and then uh and then maybe we'll uh i'll have a few more things to say but uh if you want to uh raise your digital hand if you go to the bottom of the reactions box and uh hit the raise hand i'd love to hear from from people and we can um talk together without having a head so any comments Confusions, questions, complaints. Okay, and here, what I'll do is I'm going to, uh, I'm going to spotlight me, and now I'm going to spotlight uh, Vanessa, and uh, let's talk together. Hi. Hi. So I I was a little confused and all, like, I felt for a moment that I could sort of experience what you were talking about, but in what I was saying, I kept saying, I, I've been doing, and every time I'd say, mm. I, I'd snap back into mm. my head. <laughs> Excellent point. And as a matter of fact, uh, this is something that comes up in, uh, in the Dharma scene. Uh, and it's, it's said that the Buddha, the Buddha used I all, all the time. He said, one knows I, uh, I'm breathing in a long breath, uh, breathing in a long breath. For conventional sake, for convenience, the word I is pointing to those five aggregates. So it's even great that you can see how that word I reifies that sense of self. You might just play around with knowing that when you're saying I, you're talking about form, feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness called Vanessa. But it's just a convenient label. And, uh, and see what it's like either to not use I and play around with that for a little while, or when you use I, you know you're, you're just doing it as a as a convenience. So really perceptive that you, that you could catch that. So thanks. Okay, I'm going to take off the spotlight. And uh, Adam, hi, I'm going to spotlight you now. Hi. And you can unmute yourself. There you go. Hello, James. Hi, everybody. Um, 
<clears throat> Actually, I was I was going along somewhat similar lines um, in that when I started speaking, I was I, I said this voice is coming from this awareness behind my eyes, you know, and and I don't know if that's if that's if that's helpful. That, that was actually going to be kind of my question for you. Is that is I don't know if that's deep personal, you know, just this voice, yeah, not using a you know an eye whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's uh, okay. you're, you're actually experiencing it in the moment and you're you're not taking ownership of this voice it's just coming through this body and it's a beautiful way to um let the perspective deepen and so you know i use i but really most of the time i have no head <laughs> or at least in my better moments. Yeah, I can get caught in one moment. I can be back in the third grade. But most of the time, I am just, I use I conventionally and just see life um, coming through me. So yeah, use this voice or whatever works to just deepen that perspective. Uh, and uh, I saw you, you, you wrote in the chat box that you know that book on having no head. Um, oh yes. So um, you know you're you're familiar with it right there, and just play around and and practice it. It's uh, it's playing, and it's it's just a delicious playing. Very much, mm -hmm. I agree. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Adam. Okay, I'm gonna take you out. And uh, Zach, hi. Hi there. Um, so I really love this. It's really helpful. But um, I was thinking, well, we can't see our own head. We can see everyone else's and particularly they are having thoughts which may or may not have, be about us, you know, for the one talking or acting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just curious about that point of view. Oh, yeah. That's true. You'll see people and you might have all kinds of projections when you see them yawning when you're speaking to them or, uh, you know, having any, any, maybe they didn't have much sleep last night, but, uh, but it's about me. Yes. I, I know this one well. Yeah. So here's, here's my practice for that. And it, it comes a lot like when I was saying about meta being an antidote for danger. One thing that happens when you have no head and it's not about you is to be very interested in the other person and to have it be a meta practice because when you have an outflow of energy, of warm, loving energy, people feel that in a very different way than what do they think of me? And that, that has been one of the, another key practice around in my, in my twenties, I read a book um, a very famous book, The Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham. And the character in The Razor's Edge, this guy, Larry Stallings, he was a person of very few words. But whenever he said something, he was really wise. Whenever he said something, people wanted to hear what he had to say. But I kind of took that, I used to feel self-conscious, oh, what if I don't have anything to say, to switch it around and say, oh, I don't have to say a whole lot. I just need to be interested in the other person. And when I'm interested in the other person and wishing them well and not coming back to what does it feel like in here, people relax. They love talking 
oh, it's so much fun talking to you. Yeah, because they're talking. I'm in, enjoying hearing them talk about themselves. Yeah. So metta is the key practice. And to just have an outflow of goodwill. And when you see those thoughts that say, oh, I know what they're thinking of me. Thank you for sharing. And uh, just let go of the head once again. And just know your awareness shining through. So good luck with that. Thank you. It's a practice. <laughs> and I'll, let's see, is, uh, we have, yeah, we have maybe time for one, one last one and I'll, uh, Mackenzie, I'll, I'll bring you up and, and then if we, yeah, let's see if we can, uh, answer it and then have a few words to close. Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, James. Um, I was just curious as you were talking about offering metta, um, I guess I'm familiar with, you know, the more formal mm. work practices so i'm curious how that plays out for you when you're in dialogue with somebody because i assume it's not so formal Is Very, it, yeah. I, I i'm i'm so glad you asked because that's one of the things I, I wanted to wanted to mention as far as metta you know there's if you've done metta practice there's the phrases but that can be very heady and get in the way when you're not in your head, you're in your body and you're in your heart. And one way to do metta is just a radiating outflow of goodwill. And so you don't have to say phrases. It's like um, if you're around a, a child that you love or a dog or your, your pet, do you have to generate, oh, I'm going to be sending goodwill to my dog? No, it just comes out naturally, doesn't it? Well, that's how you can be around, around most everybody. You, you don't want to be naive and you want to have healthy boundaries, but to lead with what the words for me are lead with love, to just lead with love you know, I, lately I've been singing because I've, I've had a couple of groups and I've been uh, ending with um, this little light of mine. You know that that song? That's your instruction. Just let your light shine. And when you're just, you don't have to try hard to send metta. It's who you are when you're not in your head. That's your true nature. And so you just don't block it and wish well for anyone around you right from your heart just radiating it out and that is a classical way to do metta it's it's radiating metta rather than saying phrases okay have fun yeah. try it yeah. okay and i'm gonna come back to i can remove my spotlight too uh, um, so I hope this makes sense to you. And, uh, and if it, if it does play around with it, just a few words before we go. One is this can be a bypass. You don't want to bypass what's going on. You don't want to, mm, deny what your internal experience is there's a there it's important to honor this body mind process that can get sad that can be frightened that can be confused that can be loving and you're holding that all with compassion and kindness so it's not to deny this but it's to see I don't have to get so wrapped up into believing that it's all about me. It's you, you're the only show in town for you, but when you take the focus, like I was saying to Zach, take the focus off of you 
and feel a connection with everyone, then you can hold all the things that are going on in here in a whole different way. And so be very patient and very kind as you're doing this and just see the divinity inside of you. If that's what it really is, it's, it's letting your light shine and just being an instrument. I'm just thinking of uh, Ajahn Sumedho has this beautiful uh, expression. He says, when the mind isn't caught, then there is simply the shining through of the divine. That's what is left. And so just to let your light shine. In fact, it is, it is nine, but if you'll, since I did this already twice, then uh, I'll do it one more time. Let's just, this is the practice. Just let your light shine and sing with me. You gotta be muted, but I wanna see your lips moving, okay? This little light of mine. Just let it shine right through. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let me see you sing. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. To everyone you meet, to everyone I meet, I'm gonna let it shine. Everyone I meet, I'm gonna let it shine. Everyone I meet, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, big finish now. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, mute yourself, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Let your light shine and don't take it so personally. Take good care and may our time here together be for the benefit of all beings. Be well. Next week, Eve is gonna be here and I'll be there here the week after. Take good care. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.